the Finding Joy podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening as we are trying to shine a spotlight on the joy that exists in the lives of people all around us. We're constantly on the hunt, on the prowl. That's right. As it were, (laughs) for joy wherever we can find it. I'm Jerry Williams along with Rob Langer and Benji Shepard. And today we're going to be talking with uh, someone that Rob got acquainted with a while back and want to get her story. Her name is Elise Tedeschi. Yes, Elise has a very fascinating story. I had her on the air about a year and a half ago, and we talked about her struggle with stage four pancreatic cancer. What really brought her into the spotlight was when Alex Trebek announced that he had stage four pancreatic cancer back in March of 2019. Elise was encouraged to write an open letter to Alex, and it went viral. So many people were touched by her story and and wanting to encourage Alex Trebek as he began his treatment for pancreatic cancer. So she's going to share that amazing story. And she also was a part of Louis Giglio's latest book, The Comeback, and her story is in there. Yes. Talking about her own comeback. And we're going to get the story from her right now. We sat down with Elise via Zoom, social distancing. A little bit of echo on her end, but it's a tremendous story. All right, guys, I've got a Jeopardy question for you, okay? Oh, She was the one who wrote the open letter to Alex Trebek after he first came out with his pancreatic cancer diagnosis back in 2019. Ding, ding, ding. Who is Elise Tedeschi? That's right. Oh, you got it. sorry. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't buzz you in. You didn't buzz in, Benji. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, Elise, I, we had the pleasure of, of talking to Elise, what, about a year ago, right? It, yeah. You came into the studio and you, you shared your story about uh, your diagnosis and what you have gone through. First off, how are you feeling? How's everything going? I mean, physically, I, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, I did go in July and all good, all clear scans. Super thankful because I really thought, you know, that stress, big part of all of our lives, especially now, unfortunately. And it was kind of that mode of, okay, I'm more stressful now. So just praying that, you know, that hasn't been any kind of issue or anything. So all was good. So good. And now it's been how many years uh, since your diagnosis? Diagnosis. It was uh, January 2012, right. but um, I got the sort of all clear in October, October 4th of 2012, which, um, you know, that's a pretty quick time frame for being stage four. Right. So, um, yeah, so it'll be eight years this October. That's pr- wow, great. That's Praise great. God. Praise God. That's Why wonderful. don't you tell us briefly how this all came about when you first started not feeling well and leading up to your diagnosis? Honestly, it was probably about eight months prior to, um, to finally getting a diagnosis. And, you know, they say the typical person to have pancreatic cancer is 70, mostly male, all these things that I wasn't, but I had horrendous mid back pain. So I hope people are listening. And if they get these symptoms, they just go and check them out because you never know. Um, but I had this mid back pain really bad. I had, um, like my stomach was hurting a lot, but my doctor, my doctor kept saying, well, I, I think that you have an ulcer because you, you have, you take too much Advil. And I was like, (laughs) I have an ulcer. I mean, I really, I, I, I felt like I knew I didn't have an ulcer. So 
I honestly had went to this doctor. She had done a MRI rather than a CT scan with contrast, which is really important. So, you know, not the right test. And really fast forward, I didn't find out till about um, eight months later. And I did have to go out of Atlanta to uh, Tampa to like an actual NCI designated cancer hospital. Now, there are better doctors here in Atlanta for pancreatic cancer, but at that time, there really wasn't. So just I had back pain, and then I started losing a lot of weight, and then the pain got unbelievable. And mm-hmm. I'd even gone to the emergency room a couple of times, and you know they give you pain medication and all that sort of thing. I had back shots, I had you know epidural shots in my back, all kinds of stuff. So right, okay. Yeah. And and what kind of treatments did you go through during that time? So. Th- I ended up doing uh, 12 rounds of this um, chemotherapy that honestly at the time there were only um, two, maybe three drugs on the market for pancreatic cancer. One that had been around forever and was like the standard. And then the drug that I took came out the year before. So super thankful that worked. Um, Now I would tell you there's tons of drugs on the market. So I did 12 rounds of this pretty intense chemotherapy. I got down to a whopping 89 pounds. Oh my Ooh. word, wow. Um, and I'm 5'3". <laughs> then um, after the 12 rounds, they, you know, they kind of tell you they want to give you a break. And I had sort of kept saying, well, is it gone? Is it gone? Is it gone? And, they're, and it had shrunk a lot, actually. So did that. Then I did what's called stereotactical radiation along with a 24-hour chemo pump. I did that for five weeks straight. Um, actually did that in Tampa and then um, got my miracle. I mean, it sounds like so easy, but right. I did a PET scan and um, my doctor had walked in and basically said, how you feeling? I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, we kind of go do that song and dance and I'm like, how am I feeling? And he said, well, he's like, nothing lit up in your PET scan. He's like, you have no active cancer. At that point, I, w- I had been stage four, which was, it was in my liver. There were some spots in my lungs. There were spots in my chest. Some of those spots went away. Some didn't. So they kind of assumed some of them were, I guess, uh, scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Once I actually finally got, you know, all of that was done, there was, I still had this two centimeter tumor inside. And for long-term survival, you got to get it taken out. It was still wrapped around a major artery. So um, I did a cutting edge surgery called nano knife. It's where they go in, they take these prongs, they put them in the tumor. It's a pretty, it's a very invasive surgery. It shocks the tumor and it shocks all those cells in there. The cells um, basically get holes popped in them and then they fill with calcium and they have cell death. That works. So I honestly now go back, I go back every six months now to get scans and the amazing thing is like my liver totally rejuvenated. You know, there's no tumor, there's scar tissue in there, but there's no tumor or anything. So it's very much a miracle. Yeah. And you've talked about all the physical that went on with your cancer diagnosis and, and going through it and the medical treatment, but there was some spiritual stuff, big time spiritual stuff going on in the background with all of this too. Yeah. Can you kind of walk us through uh, maybe from diagnosis on up to uh, to where you're at now with your yeah. spiritual side. So I actually grew up Jewish. My parents originally from New York and, you know, met at the Jewish Community Center. 
growing up for me, I think was more, I don't know, more about tradition. And, you know, I still feel today like I'm still Jewish, but I'm a Christian now. Kind of how that that all happened. It was it was crazy. So I get diagnosed or actually right before I, I didn't I hadn't gotten diagnosed yet. And I was in massive pain. My neighbor, Dwayne, um, who I really did not know because I knew his I know his wife very well. And at the time, I didn't really know him. Um, they had been divorced for any, many years. So he comes over and he says, I know this sounds crazy, but you have come in my spirit three times and I know I need to come and pray with you. And at the time, my sister-in-law was there because everyone knew I had a tumor, but no one knew. I mean, we all didn't have it. I didn't have a diagnosis yet. And by the way, my entire family, we have uh, or my siblings and I have all married Catholics. So, um, <laughs> you know, I would say food, family, guilt, same thing. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so he comes over, he prays with us. And right before he prays, my sister-in-law actually jumps in and says, you may not want to use the whole Jesus thing because Elise is Jewish. And I said, like, without hesitation, you know what? Pray how you normally pray. I'm opening my heart to everything. And he prayed. I felt like, gosh, that was just so selfless of him. So nice. Fast forward, I get diagnosed, stage four, inoperable. Most people in your condition don't survive longer than nine months. And at the time, my kids were kindergarten and second grade. So that was not part of the plan. When I get back, I think it was my husband said, you know, we need to get Dwayne to come over and pray with us. And so he comes over and he, and he prays with us. And as, and it's cold, it's, it's pretty cold out because it's January. He's praying with us. And as he's praying, it's like, I'm kind of feeling like this heat go through my entire body. I'm shaking. I feel like I'm going to get sick. I, I'm feeling really bad. And all I could think of was like, you better hurry up because I'm going to get sick on them. <laughs> so that have he stops he finishes i run to the restroom and lo and behold like it just goes away and i come out of the bathroom and i and and i'm physically like i'm not a big sweater i'm physically like my hairline is completely wet and i'm not a big sweater it's like come out and Dwayne is pacing and he is like god is in your house please god is in your house and he is just overwhelmed my husband is like what just happened so clearly we all felt it and it was so unbelievable like at that you know at that moment to me and i honestly it scared me because i never experienced anything like that before you know i was like what is going on and then Dwayne said well that's the holy spirit going through you and i was like i'm jewish i don't really understand that <laughs> it just kind of started this incredible journey um I felt like the entire time God was just like tapping on my shoulder. Did you see this person I put in your life? And it was just like constantly every day something. And right after that, or actually I think it was actually right before um, my neighbor, Kevin and Don, or my neighbors, Kevin and Don had invited us to go to Passion City Church. And we go in there the first time. And I always think this is pretty amazing because I'm a door holder there now. And we go, we sit down. A door holder comes over to us, which is, you know, what they call their, you know, volunteers. And she just, just without hesitation says, 
can I pray with you too? And it was, the, the diagnosis was so new, like less than a few days old, essentially. And I start crying. My husband has to explain, well, my wife just got diagnosed. I mean, you talk about so intentional and so like going with what God is telling you, that's amazing. I feel like I need to do that more. But she came over, prayed with us, and I thought that was amazing. But through that journey, I felt like every gathering, Louis was talking directly to me. For a while, like my neighbor would say, are you, are you ready to accept Jesus? And I'm like, no, not ready yet. And um, for me, it wasn't until the, the whole story of Lazarus. To me, like I, I looked at my husband and I said, I... I think I got this and I hope people don't misinterpret that, but I felt like I got this for God to really show this miracle. I don't know. It was just super powerful to me. It just kept us on this incredible journey. And you became a part of Louis's book. Was it the comeback? The comeback. Yes. Okay. I'm on chapter 12. Um, it's the, the ultimate comeback. It was incredible. I mean, that day was amazing because we actually went to all three gatherings and, you know, he had um, done a video, they played the video and it was really amazing. But like the first one, we went with a bunch of friends. The second one, we brought our kids. And that third one, we kind of, um, we went with other friends, but mostly by ourselves. And it was kind of after that, that is, I think an incredible story. We had a babysitter at home. So we decided to go to dinner. So we're sitting at dinner and he's like, I have to tell you something. And you're like, okay, what do you got to tell me? He goes, I can't, I can't tell you right now because it's just, it's too emotional. I'm going to, I'm going to send you an email tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and it's, it's funny. If you know him, he's usually like talks about everything, but this was like, so like, he was so serious about this. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So my husband had lost his mom when he was 12. And I'm sure when I was going through this, all he could think about was, is this happening to my kids? Is this, you know, my kids going to lose their mother like I did, you know, when I was young. And so he said that every time he, in that third gathering that he prayed, every single time, like she was right there and she was, I, oh, I'm going to try not, I'm not going to cry on this one. But she had said that she was so proud of him for just sticking by my side and that she said, you, you have no idea of how many people your story has and will touch, you know, she just kind of kind of saying that to him and then saying to him also that you don't have to worry. Your kids will have their mother, you know, and not go through what you had to go through. And he, and if you know him, he is not, he, he's one of those those people, like I always say, you want to get baptized? He goes, I got baptized when I was younger. You know, he's very much like matter of fact about things. And, this, I think, just completely blew him away. I mean, obviously, it blew me away, and I always think about that, and I think, okay, you know, I'm here for a reason. So, very, very blessed. I think Elise has tremendous insight on what happened to her, and just her saying that she's here for a reason, 
uh, gives you just a little insight into her insight, I think. And we, we'll, we'll come back and, and talk with that a little later on. And as we got into that segment, yeah. Rob, <laughs> one of the dreams that you've had since yes. childhood started to come through a little bit. I don't know if you knew it or not, but one of his lifetime dreams was to be a game show host. Yeah, I always wanted to be. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if that was an audition, I, yeah. I'm going to hire you, man. <laughs> I don't have a game show to hire you okay, for, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we're going to hear more from Elise coming up and uh, get the story behind that letter that you mentioned that mm-hmm. she sent to Alex, or it was an open letter, and we assume that Alex Trebek got it, but we'll get I the story. I would hope by right. now he's yeah. heard about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. I mean, We've got something big coming up in November, November 9th to the 12th. It is our annual T-Shirts for Turkeys, where we are going to be out at numerous locations around our North Georgia listening area. And I mean North Georgia from Macon, I should say, all the way up. We're going to be at various locations collecting frozen and paper turkeys. Those are going to go right to those food banks in those communities. And in exchange, just to say thank you. We're going to give you a Joy FM t-shirt. And for the uninitiated, the paper turkey means a $10 gift yes. to that organization that we are helping out uh, yeah. that day, the food pantry. It's mostly food pantries or other organizations that have a wing of a food pantry oh, within wing, their yeah. organization. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not pulling your leg on that. Oh, no. <laughs> Enough turkey anatomy. Hey, I'm Jules. So on the latest Jules Show podcast, I talked with Bill Westifer. He was a pastor for 30 years and did a lot of research on the stresses that pastors face and the causes and cures for it. The reality for pastors is that 70% of pastors leave the ministry with lower self-esteem than they had when they started. Give this podcast a listen, because for me, I learned different ways that I could better care for my own pastor. You can give it a listen by going to wherever you get your podcast from or at thejoyfm.com slash Jules. Now, uh, let's fast forward a little bit now to 2019. Alex Trebek comes out with his announcement about his diagnosis, having stage four pancreatic cancer. And what persuaded you to write this letter? I think any cancer and certainly stage four cancer can be a really incredibly lonely, lonely place. And first of all, when he got diagnosed, Everyone that I know basically texted me, sent me a message, whatever. And they were like, you need to talk to him. Like, okay, he's on speed dial. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, all right. And, but I'm like, how am I going to reach out? How am I going like, to really reach out to him? And it's funny because to this day, people think that I just, you know, that we're besties. Right. I've never met him. <laughs> I've never talked to him. So it's basically through the dailymeal.com. Um, by nature, I'm a publicist. And so... Um, have reached out to this group of other publicists and all kinds of people and said, hey, does anyone happen to know Alex Trebek and her as people? I would love to reach out. I'm a stage four pancreatic cancer survivor. I just want to share with him that there are others out there. Because if you look at the statistics, they're horrible. When I was diagnosed, it was a 1% chance that I would survive. And overall survival rate was actually any, like any stage then was 5%. Believe it or not, it has gone up, it is 10% now for any stage pancreatic cancer surviving more than five years, which is amazing. So I write this letter and the former editor of the dailymeal.com says, hey, if you write an open letter, I'll publish it. And I'm like, okay. So it's like midnight and my husband is like, all right, 
you put your laptop away and I go, Oh my gosh, I got to write that letter. And I was, you know, have gone, gotten home from work late. And so I like from midnight to 3am I'm writing this letter and I'm falling asleep. And then I can't really read it to him because he's asleep and I finish it and I send it to the editor and I go, Hey, feel free to edit this however you want because it's three in the morning. I'm sending this to you, but I just wrote it absolutely from my heart and basically said to him, look, I'm a stage four survivor. You can beat this. And just what I would tell anyone with anything. And so she emails me back. She said she made one grammatical change and it was published. Next thing I know, it's probably 11 AM in the morning and I'm getting all these text messages, all these messages. And it's a picture of my husband and I on um, msn.com. And then it was just like, whoo, it went at USA Today, um, CBS. I mean, even, even things that were out of the country, like in, it was wild. It was amazing. I, you know, and I got, you know, obviously I didn't hear from him, but I got a lot of messages, like an insane amount of messages actually. And people kind of that were going through anything, it wasn't even necessarily cancer, was like, I just needed to hear that. And that I thought was just amazing. That's a great story. And it's amazing, like you said, people who didn't even have cancer responded, how when you put yourself out there for God to use you, he will use you in ways that you hadn't even imagined when you first took that step. Yeah. And, you know, Rob, you and I were talking before about like sort of what brings me joy. And I was thinking, oh, you know, my family, my friends and all that. But I think the thing that gives me the absolute most joy is I know I'm in the most perfect place when I'm sharing my story, certainly my faith journey. And, you know, and, and it's wild because I've shared my story in so many different platforms. And even if it's something where maybe the faith part's inappropriate. I'm like, I still talk about it because mm-hmm. it, it carried me through. It gave me this incredible peace throughout my whole journey. I mean, really, and I would say to you too, that even in the midst of it, when I had lost my hair, I really looked bad. I was very sick. I still on mornings would wake up full of joy like bursting out of the seams joy. Like I'd never, cause I never had this relationship before, you know, with God, with Jesus and Holy Spirit, I guess. And I'd never had that, never experienced that. And I, I can't imagine anyone going through the life without that by their side. And I, and I feel like it's funny because I have teenagers right now and they're not at that point. Like, I don't feel like they have sort of the relationship that I would love them to have with God, with Jesus. And, and, they're more of like facts, this facts that church, this. And, and I do feel like there's a lot of church organizations out there, not a lot, but they're, that it kind of abuse that power and, and not necessarily do the right thing. And I think that's really hard because now with social media kids see everything. Yeah. And so I always say to them, you know, it's, it's about your personal relationship. And I'll say, you know, you know, we'll talk about like, I'm like, you know, it's just having a conversation. And even when they were little, I would say just two things that you're thankful for, two things you want to pray for. You know, I think about this, like I found God, I found Jesus 
way later in life, in a sense, like being Jewish was, I prayed and stuff like that, but nothing like it is now. And I feel like God doesn't have these, like you have to do all these things to be a good Christian or whatever. And I don't know. I, I think I look at it in the most purest sense. I think God created every single beautiful human being on this planet and we're all meant to do incredible things. And I, like you were saying, I think more things than we could ever imagine. Like his plans mm-hmm. are way greater than ours. And so during COVID, I've, I've lost my job and it's been very stressful, but he's kind of carried us through all this. And, and I know that it's kind of maybe opening up this path of, for me to, I'm writing a book. So finishing that book and I know I'm in the right place. I just need to trust him on this plan. Right. And you've been doing a lot of work with PanCan, um, mm-hmm. the cancer group, it's I guess you could say. the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. There's many pancreatic cancer organizations out there, but I love PanCan and I'm very involved. And this November is Purple Stride. It's virtual. And you can join my team, Team Tedeschi. <laughs> it's purplestrideatlanta.com. But um, one of the things that I love about pancreatic cancer, and some people may be listening to this that have pancreatic cancer and are writing down exactly what I did. They are finding more and more and more that it is really about their specific cancer, their specific tumor. So um, PanCan for free does a, a thing that's called a molecular profiling. And um, you can get your, they'll arrange to get your tumor um, tissue tested to determine what is the best line of defense. I mean, and that's what a lot of cancers are going to, that is very, very individualized. And so there's that, there's survivor to survivor counseling, you know, that you can talk to another survivor. You can, if you're a caregiver, you can talk to another caregiver. They'll help you find a doctor. They'll help you find a um, clinical trial. I mean, there's so many plus like I get to advocate with them every year. So anyone can do it. We actually, um, this past year we did it virtually, but the prior year we did it, uh, we actually went to DC and got to advocate and talk to, you know, members of Congress, Senate to put more funding into pancreatic cancer. So even like the Department of Defense is funding more cancer and it's an absolute direct correlation between funding and um, survivors you know, the increase in survivors. So super passionate about that. And I think um, knowledge is power. So it's pancan.org, by the way. So for anybody that may have just received a diagnosis or uh, someone who is a caregiver for someone who has just received a diagnosis, what sort of inspiration, maybe advice uh, can you give them based on your experience? I always say to people that you are, because my doctor told me this, he said, you are a statistic of one. So I had ever, I mean, people were like, Oh, they must've caught it early. You must've had there's a different kind of pancreatic cancer. That's very, um, that you can live with. I know I had the bad one. I had inoperable, all these things. I really, at that point in my life, I would say definitely a baby Christian, but for me, that was all I had was faith to rely on. You know, I think a lot of times like we go through these issues and we try to fix it ourselves and we don't like give it all to him. And I think that is like one thing that's really important. Certainly from a medical standpoint, I would reach out to pancan.org. I would also absolutely go to specialists. There are general oncologists that are incredible, but 
really to be able to fight this particular cancer or any cancer that's a little bit harder to fight, you've got to go to a specialist. I went to Moffitt in Tampa, and unfortunately, my doctor is no longer there, but they're doing not only meeting with patients, but they're also doing research more often. Like three days of the week, they're doing more research and things like that. And that's how you beat this. I mean, I just kind of found out like Alex Trebek is like another kind of cancer hospital specializing in pancreatic cancer um, on the West Coast. And, and I think that you've got to do that and also find the doctor willing to fight for you because quick story, I went to a very well-known cancer center. Let's just say that. I had done already like six rounds of this chemo and I was about to do six more. So the doctor had said, here's the deal. Your doctor is crazy to think that you can do six more rounds of this chemo. You will not be able to dress your kids. You, um, you won't be able to walk. At the end of the day, you're going to die from this anyways. He, I know, and he said, I would rather give you a less aggressive chemo to give you a better quality of life until you die. It hit me hard. You know, it was, it was just like, I can't believe this guy's actually saying this. And, you know, I get on the plane, I find this in my, there's something in my seat and it's actually, it was like one of those metal bookmarks that had scripture on it. And then it just made me go, you know what? God is the greatest physician. This doctor is definitely not God. <laughs> and that gave me, you know, I felt like I kept getting those messages from God. I think so many doctors are just not looking at patients individually. And even my sister, who's a lawyer, had actually said to him, well, you don't know my sister. And he said, well, you don't know this cancer. And she's pretty much black and white and all this. I mean, I even had a family member say that I was in complete denial of the impending, you know, like, I know you're going to die. You need to come, you know, you're so in denial. And I'm like, I was not in denial. I mean, I had this peace about it and I just, I honestly, I absolutely knew that I was going to be okay. And it sounds so weird, but I think, you know, when you really let that in, you know, I just kind of let God be in control of it all. Oh, and second, third opinions, get, get multiple opinions, find the doctor willing right. to fight for you. <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate you taking some time out today to, to talk with us, Elise. It's a tremendous story and we're just happy to help you get it out to maybe some more people. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I, I need to be a little bit better about it. I should just put my kids in charge of my social media. Um, it's um, Elise in the ATL. So E-L-I-S-E in the ATL. And also the the virtual 5K that is coming up yes. in, in November. Yes, we'll also put that up on our show notes That's on our great. website. Yeah, it's um, the second Saturday of November. So it should be pretty fun. Thanks, Elise. Pleasure to get to meet you. All right, you too. What a tremendous inspirational story. Amazing. And when, when you first introduced us to Elise, I didn't realize that she came from a Jewish heritage. Yes, yeah. Which, which that's just even thing. adds to that story and the fact that she was conversant with the story of Lazarus, you know, that from, from her background, th that she knew about that. You know, a lot of us have gone through difficult times. As a matter of fact, I don't know that there are any of us who haven't or who won't go through trying times when bad things happen to us. And there are a lot of reasons those kind of things happen. Often, it's the consequence of an action we took of our own accord. And though that's not an easy one for us to admit that, right. yeah, I messed up and that's why I'm in this bad situation. Sometimes it's just the natural order of things. People do get sick. People get fired. 
marriages fall apart, friendships crumble. Pandemics happen. Yeah. Yes. And loved ones die. Mm. Other times, though, God allows the evil, the unfortunate, the bad to sometimes seemingly gain a foothold so that he can demonstrate his glory and love. Paul writes to the Romans about the disobedience of both the Gentiles and the people of Israel. During the time that Paul was writing, Israel was under the foothold of Rome. Rome had occupied Israel. And Paul writes to the Romans, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Now, I have to admit to you guys, when I first read that, my initial thought, momentary as it was, involuntary as it was, (laughs) was to think, wouldn't it just been easier to not allow the disobedience in the first place? Mm. Well, I think Paul probably anticipated that kind of response because in the next few verses he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And in other places we read in the Bible that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Well, Elise referenced an example of this truth in her discussion. She stated that at one point she thought of Lazarus as she considered her own situation. And I think most of us recognize Lazarus as the man Jesus raised from the dead. And and some of us may even remember that by the time Jesus arrived at Lazarus's tomb, he'd been dead for four days. Right. I mean, he was dead. Yeah. No doubt about it. Lazarus was dead. And Elisa's situation, at least metaphorically, could be similar to that of Lazarus being diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and then miraculously being declared cancer-free could easily be described as coming back from the dead. But I think Elise had more of the backstory of the raising of Lazarus in mind when she made that comparison. About a week before his death, Lazarus's death, that is, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. And the Gospel of John recounts this story, tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These were Jesus's close friends. They were very important people to him. And when Jesus got the message that Lazarus was sick, he decided to stay right where he was for another two days before he traveled to Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And then finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And Judea, the region of Israel that Bethany was in. And the disciples reminded Jesus that some people there were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Yet off they went all the same. On the way, Jesus said, almost in passing, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples answered that, well, if he's fallen asleep, it's probably a good thing, right? He'll, he'll get better. He'll recover because he's fallen, fallen asleep. Well, Jesus then had to say to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Well, when they arrived at Bethany, both Mary and Martha told Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Martha was the first one to greet Jesus. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And she answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. To which Jesus answered, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, then Jesus instructed that the stone be removed from the opening of the cave where they had buried Lazarus. And Martha said, Lord, by this time, 
if there's going to be a stench. He's been dead for four days. Right. Jesus told her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus prayed out loud, thanking the Father for hearing him. And he explained in the midst of that prayer, I know that you hear me. I'm just praying this way so that the people here will realize that and that you are the one that sent me. And he said that so that we would know that as well. So they rolled away the stone, and then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, still bound in the grave clothes that they used to wrap the bodies, came out of the tomb. Now, I think the Lord has given Elise a very precious gift, probably more than one gift. Her faith story is so tied to her diagnosis with and recovery from cancer that it wouldn't be much of a stretch to say that her cancer was a major factor in her salvation. Mm. And she has the insight to recognize this truth and to be thankful for it and to share her story with others, such as Alex Trebek. So you see, sometimes, it turns out, God has shut us all up in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Mm. That is wow. such a good thought. Yeah. Yeah, and he is he's so good even in those times. You yeah. know, it's it's a great realization to know that even with a stage 4 pancreatic cancer diagnosis, which is, you know, normally something you would consider a death sentence right well then she says what five percent five percent survival yeah. rate with that right i mean we look we just lost justice ruth bader ginsburg to mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer right normally that would be you know a death sentence but god chose in his just the knowledge that he has that this situation is going to be different mm-hmm. and is going to be for my glory i love how he does that yeah. and he does it over and over and over throughout scripture throughout history and he's doing it now and yes. each of our lives. And I, and I think that the lesson, the takeaway from Elisa's story that we can each apply to our own lives is when those things happen, and God forbid something as bad as stage four pancreatic cancer, but just when anything bad happens, when right. when your marriage falls apart, when, when whatever bad thing you're going through, rather than asking why or what did I do to deserve this, maybe say, Lord, what can I learn through this? And know that even if it ends in death, that God walks with you through it, regardless of the reason. So good. Yes. All right. Well, our next episode is going to be coming out on October 22nd. We're going to do something that we've never done before. What's that? Oh, we're going to invite somebody back. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Juwan DeVivo, our friend, guitarist from Casting Crown, stand-up comedian. We're going to check in with him, see what he has been up to. I know that Casting Crown's has been doing a very unique tour mm-hmm. lately. So, yes. uh, yeah, we'll check in with him and see what he's up to. Make sure you subscribe to the Finding Joy podcast, which you can find on Apple, Google Play, even Amazon Music. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're now on Amazon Music as well. You can ask Alexa to play the Finding Joy podcast, and boom, there we are. You can also find more information at our website, thejoyfm.com. Also, give us a five-star review if you really, 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 really like it. You know what? Even if you only really like it, a five-star review or a five-star rating and a review would be great because it helps other people find it. That's right. And we're also on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. we got links on our website for all of those and also links 
to a lot of the things that we talked about during this episode. You'll find those in the show notes and at thejoyfm.com. And if you have any suggestions or, or comments, maybe ideas for someone that you know of that really is experiencing and expressing joy that would be of interest to people, email us. Our email address, findingjoypodcast at thejoyfm.com. So until October 22nd, when the next episode comes out, I'm Jerry Williams for Rob Langer and Benji Shepard. Thank you so much for listening to the Finding Joy Podcast.